Right, deep breath. Firstly, are you okay? I hope so. It feels very strange indeed sitting here without... Mitro. And I imagine that you might have been feeling a lot like I have. Shaken, troubled, let down, worried for the well-being of... Fulham fans everywhere. And full of questions. You, me and all of us... At Craven Cottage. ...gave our love and support to someone who was... Only ever in it for the money. ...who acted in a way that they themselves felt that they had to... ...leave the club that adored him and go and play in a made-up league in Saudi Arabia. That is a lot to process. I think what unites us all now is a desire to heal... ...sign a new striker and never talk about this weekend again. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is George Cooper and welcome to the show. Right, let's get this over with. As football weekends go, that one was an absolute stinker. A truly shocking performance in a 3-0 home defeat to gift our local rivals bragging rights. Our talisman has left to play in the Saudi Arabian League and the Lionesses lost in the World Cup final. It's easy to catastrophize in these situations, but things are looking pretty bleak at Southwest Six at the moment. We've got plenty to cover, so joining me for the group therapy today is Mr. Drew Heatley. How are you? Hi Coops, yeah, I'm, I'm working through a range of emotions. I'm hoping to get them all out in the next hour or so. Yeah, that's the that's the that's the one. Cam Ramsey, you good, mate? Commiserations. Yeah, I'm up for venting as well. Right, that's a safe it. room here. <laughs> it's a safe space. And Mr. Harry Durham, you good? Uh, my parents' divorce was so much easier than these last 24 <laughs> hours. That's all I can tell you. Let's <laughs> get it been... over and done with, baby. Come on. <laughs> yeah, really, really, really hard to try and find some silver linings at the minute, but we'll try our very best. Harry, have you got some three-word reviews for me, please, sir? Yes, I do. Let me just fire them up quickly. We've had a mental response on both uh, Instagram and Twitter, a total of uh, 175 tweets and 100 wow. plus on Instagram. Let's get started then. Uh, Jack Copeland with uh, Bond, Bales, Brentford. Uh, solid referee, Darren Bond, who I think we can all agree is an absolute mug. And I think it's only his second game ever in charge of a Premier League match. So, oh, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic from him. Uh, Matt Hall with uh, What the Hillow. Um, <laughs> cheers, mate. Very, very poignant, straight to the point, to be honest. I'm crying. All of us are crying. People who listen to this are crying as well. Um, Fulham home runs with Rabona, Raul, really very good. Uh, Fulham, Catalonia as well with Mitro, Issa, gone. Uh, you, I think <laughs> we can all be all agree on this. We cut the cover so many points just in three words. Mitro leaving the club and uh, Issa Diop being a bit of a donkey as well. Uh, Harry FFC with Visa robbed Issa. And finally, mm. um, I saw this one floating about quite a lot. I don't know if everyone's been copying this person, but Connor Brody over in the States got 100 plus likes on Twitter for Issa Bad Dareem. And I've got to tell you something, Dareem, which you'll probably know, or is the band called Dream from the uh, early 90s. They had a hit song, which we all know, called Things Can Only Get Better. So maybe, just maybe, 
Issa bad dream is a blessing in disguise. <laughs> Fantastic, Harry. Thank you very much for compiling those. Yeah, love it. I mean, D-Ream, their words. I mean, things can't get much worse from here, I will say. I mean, Drew, it was a really interesting first actually no it wasn't interesting it was pretty dull to be honest it was a bit of a stalemate we had a very interesting lineup with the likes of William and Paulinho on the bench obviously coming back from injury may explain that but Brentford kind of sat back didn't really press much neither team made any chances but on the cusp of half time I'd say we were in a pretty good position right yeah I mean obviously the, you walk away and the scoreline's 3-0 but you know, I said it on the Telegram and the Fulhamish community. It wasn't a gubbing in the traditional sense. You know, we we were in it for 45 minutes. And the only way Brentford were going to score, in my opinion, in that first first half was if we let them. And boy, did we. Um, but, you know, as you say, it was devoid of any sort of real action or uh, sort of, well, devoid of any guilt edge chances from us. That's for certain. Um, we didn't really create much. But. I expected a bit more from Brentford in that first half. And that and that was why it's such a, a, a dull first half because we had a lot of the ball. We had a lot of time on the ball, more than I expected, but we couldn't do anything with it um, because we lost that focal point. And, um, you know, I'm I'm not sitting here and saying that we're, we're 10 men plus Mitro because we've proved last season in his absence that that's not the case. We do have other... Uh, other things up our sleeves but I think whatever was going on with the finalising of the deal and finding out pre-game or whatever um, you know it must have got to us a little bit but it was our game to lose until we decided that we wanted to lose it and we did it in, in fantastic fashion <laughs> it was it was one of those games where it, you got Marco Silva going up against Thomas Frank and they're both master tacticians and you got the sense of right whichever team gets the first goal here is going to be in the driving seat I got the impression that we were starting off with the likes of Deca Reed. we knew that we had strength coming off the bench and I felt that Marco's plan was to go into a second half uh, with a you know draw in a, in this stable position and then incrementally sort of bring on the cavalry to try and um, unpick Brentford I mean Cam what did, what did you make of our starting lineup because it, it seemed to me like it wasn't the strongest that we had available no, definitely not. You play to um, an opposition strengths themselves, and uh, we clearly didn't cope very well with the pace of Embuemo and uh, Enrico Henry bombing up the channels, making it extremely difficult for us to get any kind of foothold in the game whatsoever. You would have preferred someone like William to get on the ball because he's so good at uh, screening across the midfield and stretching play. And I know BDR obviously scored an excellent goal against Everton to obviously give us three points. Um, on the opening day of the season, but I thought that he in particular was fairly non-existent other than the kind of uh, hat-tat shot where he hit the crossbar, and that's probably the best opportunity we had throughout the game. I thought Lukic was good value, but when you've got someone like Palinja sitting on the bench who is quite clearly match-ready, maybe not 100% fit, but in a game as big as it was at the time, um, three points, first game at home against local rival, you need some cut and thrust in the midfield. And we were severely lacking that. And I thought it was a bit of a gamble lobbing Pelinia on, you know, as as when we did in the 67th minute, if there was doubts over his fitness. Clearly there wasn't. So why didn't he start? We needed somebody to obviously deflect a lot of the pressure coming from the centre of the park. And as as well as Lukic did, um, he's not a Pelinia. And Reed, he didn't cover the space that Pelinia usually uh, usually inhabits either because he was too busy trying to obviously incorporate himself in defence, you know, in offensive movements. 
And just just touching on our substitutes, I thought they were too little too late. Um, Adama Traore in particular, he is an absolute monster. He scares me um, just by just by looking at him sitting in a Hammersmith fence, he's an absolute beast. And you would have thought, throw him on for 20 minutes to go chasing the game, he could have done something quite quite different for us. Um, and if you're throwing Nunes on, who clearly isn't up to Premier League football at all, that's clearly a, that's a cry for help from, from Silver, isn't it? Like, we haven't got the personnel to really compete in the Premier League. You just It goes to show if you're throwing on a nomadic Brazilian who struggled at Middlesbrough. So I think Silver got, got it wrong. Personally, I think he, he got it wrong, and we didn't play our strongest uh, our strongest side, which was integral, and it always is at the beginning of the season to start strongly, and we completely folded yesterday. Yeah, I mean, just to touch about what you're saying about the substitutes, bringing on Adama Traore in his competitive debut for the club on a right back, I was like, what is happening? Are we in a simulation right now? Think, can it can this get any worse? I think he played at right wing back at right. Wolves for a brief spell. But that's not what you want him. You, you you want him on the last man, don't you? And obviously mm. rubbing shoulders with baby oil and just making him spin off into a different dimension. <laughs> but I, I, I don't understand. I, I just don't understand what Marco was really trying to achieve, especially late on in the game. I know the game was already done, but Christ, at least have some bollocks and do something about it. Earlier, at least. Yeah, and Harry, um, Cameron mentioned there about Moon is coming on ahead of Vinicius. I mean, that was a real head scratcher in my opinion um i mean where does that leave vinicius and all of this i mean if you're him sat on the bench it's, it's a really sort of bleak state of affairs i just thought we really lacked attacking potency throughout i mean raul jimenez he's obviously new he's embedding himself into the squad but was just absolutely non-existent yesterday we, we all know that he's been through his tough times obviously fracturing a skull away at arsenal with wolves a couple of years ago it's tough to take, but he's just not the same player and that's not his fault. We are taking a huge risk on this man and this guy cannot be leading the line for us now that Mitrovic has gone to get all his money in Saudi Arabia and we're linked to this other Brazilian. Is it Pedro? It's, we need to take a hint. We can't sign good Brazilian strikers. Where are we scoring goals? <laughs> no, tell me, tell, look, honestly, tell me, where are we scoring goals? It's worrying me. I don't think we're gonna. I don't think we're gonna go down. I don't think we're gonna go down at all. But we're getting fifty million quid for Mitro. Yeah, Raul Jimenez can be the fourth selection striker. I'd rather Adama Traore came on. It is scary as hell. We have nothing. I would. I would offer a couple of counterpoints. I think uh, we are pretty potent on the wings. I think we've got some good wingers who can get some goals in the answer to where would the goals come from. But remember that Jimenez had like one game, two game preseason. So it's not he's not really had a chance to come in. Granted, yesterday he was in all sorts of places that I didn't want him to be. Every time I looked, he was sort of out wide or in the wrong position. And obviously, he seems to be very one-footed. Rabona showing that he's just saying, what the fuck am I supposed to do? I'll do oh, I forgot to mention that. So I, 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 I'll be the first to say it was not it was not a great game for him yesterday. But I think he's not had a preseason. I think he's, he needs to, he's, he's at a new club as well, which is obviously uh, a huge thing. He's got He's got to settle down a little bit. As for bringing Mooney's on yesterday, as I said to Sammy in the in the quick take, I think uh, it might be a couple of things at play here. Like uh, we're two 0 down, uh, the game's probably gone. 
does he think that Vinicius is the type of player who's so confidence-based that it, it is a hiding to nothing for him? He's not going to get anywhere. It's not going to do his confidence any good. So if he's going to start against Arsenal, it's not going to help him because he's going to be uh, he's going to come on chasing the game, doing doing fuck all for for twenty minutes. Whereas you've got somebody like Mooney's who's literally champing at the bit to to make his name at this club or, or go on loan and do it somewhere else. He's getting it on a big stage in a derby game. He was chasing down every single ball. And that's what we needed at that point. If only just to get our peckers up in the hammy end and across the ground. Do you know what I mean? We needed it at that point. So I do get it. And I kind of think we've got him at your disposal. Use him. I do agree with you, Harry or Cam, whoever said it. Like it might be a... The managers, especially Marco, like to have the the... Uh, these Portuguese managers in particular, Mourinho loves it, to make those statements with the players that they bring on, the players they put on the bench and all this sort of stuff. So I do I do think that that and Traore at, uh, at fullback is probably one of those sly little gigs. But I do kind of get the Muniz substitution yesterday. Um, and I do think we got goals in this side. I just think it was a bad day at the office. I mean, it was just, it was literally that weird floaty shot where Reed hit the crossbar. That was, I think, the only time yeah. that we ever came close to. It was a really weird one, that, wasn't it? It seems to like, it was like never the shot came in, off his boot hit the crossbar. slow motion yeah. and then out of nowhere it just pinged off the crossbar. But it was a really bad day at the office. Um, I mean, the turning point well, for me was obviously that it's a Diop mistake. I mean, Cam. We all make mistakes in life and, um, you know, it's, but I mean, at this level, there's zero margin for error. You will be punished. And I mean, it's, it's kind of, uh, yeah, it was, it was the turning point in the game. We've seen it far too often from Izzy Diop. You know, every time he makes a mistake, it's detrimental. It might be in pre-season. It could be last season. I don't know who was it against, um, who closed him down when he couldn't be asked to clear it. We were away, I think we lost, and we ended up um, conceding a penalty for it. And um, you got West Ham fans pelting us for giving them £20 million for is a day up. And the most, I, I think the most um, annoying thing, perturbing thing about is a deal is that I actually do rate him still in a weird way. I still think there's a decent player in there. He just makes cataclysmic mistakes at the wrong time. Um, and that was our downfall. And as as Drew rightly said, it was our game to lose until we basically shat the bed and gave them every opportunity to pull one nil ahead. And we know what Thomas Frank likes to do. He likes to get his boys ahead. He likes to hold a high press. He doesn't like his team to sit back. He likes to constrict and strangulate. And we have no answer to it. But thanks as a D-op for, uh, for putting us in an awful position heading into, you know, going into half time where... Tails should have been up a little bit. You're holding back a strong Brentford team here, and we haven't necessarily got the uh, the strength in squads to to really compete at the moment. I don't think so. It was a carrot for us that we held them for as long as we did, um, with very little trouble, to be quite honest with you. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just I just think it was just I was so unceremonious yesterday. But it's clearly it's clearly not working, and we do need massive massive reinforcements in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I anticipate we'll see a flurry of activity in this fortnight. I mean, yeah, I do think Brentford were weakened. You know, it wasn't by any means a full strength lineup from them, but credit where credit's due, it's just a very clinical performance from them. You know, they did what they needed to. They took their chances. They capitalised on mistakes, got a bit of luck, and then sealed it right at the death. It was it was a very uh, it was a very Premier League win. And Fulham did not look Premier League quality yesterday. Let's come on to 
the Tim Ream red card penalty incident. I mean, Harry, for me, it looks incredibly soft. I don't think it's a penalty, let alone a yellow card to get sent off. I think it's just one of those it, bad refereeing decision. I did. I mean, I, I don't know whether it even got looked at with VAR or whether it just, it just sort of, you know, they just took the decision um, straight off the bat. But yeah, for me, it's just one of those where you're like, it's just not going to be our day, is it? Yeah, I didn't even see it happening in the ground, to be honest with you, mate. It was that soft. I, I saw him go down and I, I thought, I didn't think it was a penalty at, like initially. And I had a pretty good view from where I was sat. And then when the red card came out, I was like, what has happened here? I assumed that Tim Ream had said something, but I'm like, Tim Ream wouldn't, he wouldn't do say that. anything. So he wouldn't get himself sent off in that way. I was just really confused more than anything. And I didn't mm. realise it was even for a second. Yeah, I forgot that he'd got booked earlier on. Um, I can't even remember that, It was that, just mate. weird. It was weird. That. Like every... Everyone around us was just like, what has just happened? I mean, a terrible, terrible refereeing display, I thought. Yeah, mate, like we've known it for so long. I thought the first game of the season when VAR was actually getting stuff right and that was that's Man City versus Burnley. I was like, you know what, that's going to be a turning point. But I'm seeing some things over the like, even like the Leno situation like last week, even though Michael Keane was potentially offside and whatnot. They really are useless. I don't understand what VAR or officials are taught in referee school or wherever it is. They need to get themselves down Hackney Marshes, for God's sake. They will learn a thing or two. It's like these people have just gone to referee university, then all of a sudden they're in the Premier League. But there is nothing in that challenge. That, that's like literally doing the same thing on a football pitch in your local village, and then all of a sudden you're getting done for GBH. There is no consistency whatsoever. I'm so I'm so sick of it, mate. That's that's not a second yellow. I can't even remember the first yellow card. It was just another thing on a shit day. There's there's a couple of things that play. I think with that with the refereeing and in general yesterday. I mean, for a start, he, he doubles down with the yellow card. So okay, penalty. It's not a penalty. I think we all agreed with that. I think that one's been no uh, been been put to bed. He's given him. A, he's given him a second yellow. He said, "Not only is it a penalty, he's given him a second yellow." Which obviously, with two yellows, you can't have anything rescinded. We're going to have Keith Hackett sending a telegram to Mosby Park this week with his tail between his legs. Um, obviously, at that point, we're already one down. But uh, you know, I think I don't think it was in out of the realms of possibility that we could have tried and pulled one back. You know, a point would have been we would have both been on level pegging after two games, and uh, and then the you know everything would look a bit a lot more a lot rosier. Um, but yeah, you mentioned oh, we're cracking down on this, we're cracking down on that. They, you know, Brentford's long throw, long wait before the long throw uh, just went on for so long as well. Uh, and it's not even a time-wasting thing. It's, it was to try and rattle us, and it worked um, because they were doing it when they were when they had the game in control, when they were when they were up. But why why is that just being left alone? This guy, this this guy, seemed meek and mild in the moments that mattered, and then suddenly thought he'll put his big big boy pants on when he didn't need to and uh, and overreach. It was ter- it was a terrible performance, and it always sounds it always sounds like sour grapes when you've lost and you and you're criticizing the the, the officials' performance. But it was it was poor. I mean. On the obviously Ream now um, looking at suspension, Cameron. Where where do you think that leaves us with our centre back uh, conundrum? I'm I'm assuming that we'll see Bassi feature in our next uh, in our next game. Well, I forgot to mention Bassi when you asked me about the starting lineup. Actually, that was one big uh, omission that was desperately needed. Obviously, to keep up with the pace, natural left sided um, centre half. It should have started over Tim Ream anyway, in my opinion. You've got a half-fit Tim Ream thrown into a big game. 
no way near discounting um, Reem's performance at all because I thought he was excellent. And it, as we've already discovered, it was, you know, it was dismissal, which never should have been. But I just think um, with the opposition yesterday in particular, Calvin Bassey would have suited the challenge a lot more than Tim Ream, especially at this time in the season as well. But yeah, I mean, of course, throw Calvin Bassey into the starting eleven. He should be there anyway. In in my opinion, he offers such great cover when we're building, when we're covering out out, out wide. He can he can fill in as a left back if we need to. Obviously, screen across, and plus he's he, he's he, he's fearless, isn't he, with the ball at his feet? And I love that in a, in a centre half, um, just to pick the ball up and steamroll through the midfield and drive us up. It's almost remesque, really, because he likes to do that as well, of course. But. We do need reinforcements. There's no doubt about it. Um, with Tossin obviously looking like he could be on the way out potentially, it is bare bones back there, and we cannot trust you know a rookie in the fig role um, to come in <laughs> and potentially um, obviously batten things up for us. It's just not going to be the way we need to operate. We need to be quite bold and go out and sign some Premier League proven centre halves, or at least some very decent, reputable ones from abroad. I do think we have a real talent on our hands with the Fuji role, but I, I yeah, probably agree um, that don't, he's... Don't um, get me wrong, I mean, he was absolutely shit-hot pre-season, but you can't throw him into a Premier League battle like like the one yesterday, for example. I, you just can't... I, if it ends if it ends badly for him, it could be completely damaging for his confidence moving forward. So you've got to wean him in gradually, you know, competitive first-team football. I worry for Tim now, I really do, because... Uh... You know, everybody's everybody's. Somebody said on Twitter, oh, "What what does what does Bassi have to do to get a game?" And I'm like, "It's literally two games into the season." Like, you know, come this on. This is Tim Ring we're talking about, like the, the, the hero of the last two seasons, the absolute darling of Stevenage Road. Yeah, like, right. well, like thirty six games in, are we? Where he's like literally been knocking yeah. on the door and begging Marco for a start. He's literally he's barely got his t- trainers under the table at Motspur, but. Everybody wants Bassi to, Bassi to start. He's when he's come in against Hoffenheim and he came in uh, in a really tough situation yesterday. He's impressed with both his his, his sort of knowledge and his his reading of the game, his strength and his and his just general sort of all round gumption. I think we we can all agree that we, we're quite high on him at the moment. I do fear for Tim Ring now because I think it's one of those things that Marcus probably been thinking about. You got to wait for somebody to put a foot, foot wrong. We're looking, you know, we always say about Tim he's at the end of his career. Looking at somebody who's at the beginning. I, I was saying to Sammy, we were saying on the on the tube yesterday on the way home, uh, it wouldn't be sort of outside the realms of possibility to go to Emirates, get a point or or, or a really strong result. Bassy shine, and then that's and that's it for Tim. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, I fear for him now on, on from these these things that weren't his necessarily well weren't his fault at all. To be honest, his season could be taken out of his hands, which is uh, which is a shame for him. We'll have to wait and see on that one. But I thought Bassi did look good when he came on yesterday. Um, I, I like I really like the look of him. It's just you know everything that you want in the centre half really. But we'll see how that one pans out. I um, just want to try and talk about some positives. Um, right, what have we got? Um, I mean, Jao Pellini obviously coming back from injury was um, was 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 fantastic, and then uh, Sasha Lukic I thought was our arguably our player of the um, our, our man of the match, Cameron. Yeah, I'd say so. Without being particularly amazing or assertive, imaginative, he did the basics really well, and he's slowly he's slowly getting himself up to speed with the Premier League as well. You've you've noticed a little a little spring in his step when he's closing down. Um, the opposition yesterday and quite a difficult midfield to shine in as well. Um, he's still got so much to learn. 
that there are tiny little flashes of the player which he was at Torino. Um, somebody that just meshed play together really nicely, got involved uh, offensively. He's he is quite a physical player. I still think the Premier League is a very tough uh, proving ground for somebody that's come from Serie A. You do need to beef up. That is just how it. That's just how it works in the Premier League. But. I certainly thought that he was our best performer yesterday. Um, I mean, as I say, he wasn't he wasn't absolutely amazing or outstanding, but nobody was. Um, we, we completely hit a, a low point as a collective yesterday. But I'm excited to see what he can bring and what he can offer. I still think we need another roaming midfielder, sort of like a number eight, maybe with a tiny bit more imagination. But I like what he brings. He is quite clearly a grafter and with... Each each time he gets on the pitch, you're going to see a, a tiny bit more from him too, because this is a great opportunity for him, especially since Palinia's been injured, for him to really get out there and set up his stall. And I personally like what I've seen of him, especially pre-season. Um, he looked like he wanted to get on the ball, pick it up, drive, obviously interlink with the attacking players as well. Didn't really see too much of that yesterday, but it was a very difficult game for him to get himself involved as we would have wanted him to. So yeah, good on him and, and long may it continue. Um, our one and only remaining Serbian in the squad. It, it was really, it was a massive positive to see him sort of carve out his own niche in the side. Now everybody's saying, you know, what does what does Lukic bring to the side? You know, everybody thought, oh, he's going to come in when Pelinja's out, and obviously he does. But then everybody assumes it's the same player as Pelinja, and it was good to see him yesterday say, like, show his, uh, show what he's about. You know, this is his identity in the side. This is what he's going to bring to the side when he comes in, and then you can then start to see what games he'll fl- he would flourish in, and which games maybe he wouldn't do so well in, and. Rather than it just being like, uh, Lukic, what does he do? Now we can start to see what he brings, which is great. I think it's, it's great that he's now starting to settle and show show his chops a little bit. Yeah, I thought it was, it was quite just a classy performance. He did everything right, you know, and we got a glimpse of the quality that um, has been, they've said that he's had. And it, it felt like a bit of a turning point. I saw quite a lot of stuff on Twitter, people praising his performance. And yeah, I've no doubt that we'll see him feature Um, more and more as the season goes on right that'll do for part one but don't go anywhere because we are going to be talking about the loss of Alexander Mitrovic in part two let's just get this over with let's do it Hello, it's Sammy here, and this episode of Fulhamish is supported by NordVPN. Now, NordVPN is a way of watching sporting events, TV shows, and films which aren't available where you are by switching your virtual location of your phone, tablet, or laptop to a country which is particularly perfect for those 3pm kickoffs which aren't televised in the UK. And right now, you can get an exclusive discount by going to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish. Not only will you benefit from their already huge discount, but you'll also get an extra four months for free. You can use one account on up to six devices. Also, it's completely no risk thanks to Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So to get that special rate plus four free months, go to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish or hit the link in the description of this podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. I'm joined by Harry Durham, Drew Heatley and Cameron Ramsey. And yes, yesterday the news was confirmed that... Alexander Mitrovic has left Fulham Football Club to play in the Saudi Arabian League for Al Halal. Well done, Mitro. You got your move. I hope it makes you very happy. I mean, I'm more than anything at this point. I'm just, I'm just relieved it's over. I feel like it's all we've been talking about as a fan base for the last three months. And I'm obviously devastated that it's happened. It goes against everything that I thought he was as a player. 
thought I, he was as a bloke. And I don't know, I guess I just, we've all over the last five years been led to believe that he really did love this club and there was a special connection between him and the fans. And yeah, it, all it takes is a, a few quid and uh, and that's that, the legacy on the scrap heap. Drew, what was your kind of overall feelings when uh, when you saw that it was all confirmed? Well, like what you said, I was just kind of glad it was over. It had been going on for so long uh, this summer. It sort of overshadowed everything. And it was funny because we never really entertained the fact that he would be going anywhere uh, at the end of the season, um, just because he was it was all, he was he always so uh, pro-Fulham, wasn't he? Um, he gave an interview when he signed one of his last deals saying, you know, you can't put a price on being happy going to work. I'm not somebody who chases money. He literally says, I'm not somebody who chases money. It was... Uh, Sky Sports or something absolutely like and 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 when this sort of all turned up I wrote a piece on the website saying he won't go um, because he's literally said he's not about money he's about you know being happy where he is he'd had a tough time at Newcastle and you know he's revitalised here he loves the club etc etc obviously that's going to end up on Bad Fulham Takes Twitter account in a couple of uh, days now but so I was glad I was glad it was over Um, just a real sort of uh, cloud that sort of hung over everything it's I think we're all. I think we're all as fans going to grieve in our own way. I've seen every single uh, stage of grief displayed on Twitter in the last few hours. You know, the club, even you know, the Kurt statement, which was you know very uh, unlike Fulham, uh, especially for a player like Mitrovic. And you could see that they were you know really up, upset as a club after, especially after Marco's comments as well in the post-match presser. And then today they show the uh, the, the the montage video. Don't be sad. It's over. Be happy. It happened. Uh, and people are saying read the room, you know, this is not the right thing to do. But I think for some people it is. Some people are some people are more accepting of what happened and some people are more angry. Everybody's in a different place, right? And uh, so I think it's okay to it's okay to feel all the range of emotions. I'm just I'm just relieved it's over. Mm. Uh, for those that didn't um, hear the Marco's comments, Drew, he he said that um, along the lines of this is a really unusual situation. I wouldn't expect players to force a move quite in the manner that Mitrovic has done. Is that right? Yeah, and that, yeah, and it was uh, it was it was very to the point from Marco, and and very much like he was protecting Mitrovic when he was here in the summer. He was very sort of. Uh, the, the way he was posing what he was saying was so different to protect Mitrovic in case, you know, these things uh, didn't happen and we could welcome him back into the fold. And it led us all to think, oh, maybe he didn't say he wouldn't play for Fulham again. But now I think it's clear that he did. And he was, as manager, was protecting him, as he should. But now he's now said, you know, it's not normal behaviour. And then I, you know, I'm, I shared those quotes when Peter Rutzler reported them in Athletic and then I'm getting Watford fans retweeting saying, oh, the irony, you know, and all this. And, you know, it, and it's, it's, that's football, isn't it? Everyone, you, you know, those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Everyone's been, uh, everyone's done something wrong in the past. Uh, Marco's obviously wrong those Watford fans, so they were loving that. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It was out of character, I guess, for Mitro from what we know of him, but do we really truly know him? We don't really. Um, maybe that was him all along and he was just chatting shit in his interviews. Maybe he does love money. Everybody does. Money talks. Do you know what the most of- offensive thing about uh, all of this was? Was the little video that Al Halal put out <laughs> with 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 actors wearing Fulham shirts out, outside Craven Cottage. Literally, the girl who is first shows up in the video has a northern fucking accent. She's like, oh yeah, we all love him. We all love Amitra around here. He's the best. It's like, what? Who put that together? It's the most cringeworthy thing I've ever seen. The, the thing that I'm trying to 
reconnect with is just how many fantastic memories that man has given us over this last five years you know when all the pain of the last few weeks is gone it's all so raw now and you know we loved him which is why it hurt so much but we will look back at his time here as you know the greatest striker that we've had at the club since a half you know ever he's he is a I, I'm, I'm really hesitant to say club legend but he's on he's in that conversation right so I'm just hope that once every all the dust settles we can we can be left with those beautiful memories and not try and dwell too much on the on the bad ones that he's given us in recent times I mean Harry um I saw the the video that you put out in the immediate aftermath of uh Mitrovic's uh departure um any words that you'd like to share on your <laughs> on your uh situation ladies and gentlemen a lot of uh arabic that's for sure <laughs> and just <laughs> absolute threats that i've gotten from people one saying to me saying to me he's come to a club that has won the world cup <laughs> does anyone actually give a shit about the club world cup let's 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 break that down to its bare bones then um i lost my head yesterday and i think i was well within my rights to to be honest with you i went on a whole massive tangent depressed on the 270 on the way back from putney bridge we'd obviously just lost three now and we just lost our star striker it's just all money it's all money. Simple as that. The guy doesn't have any ambition. It's very clear. And what I what I started thinking about last night in my sort of down and depressing state was, why was no Premier League club in for him? You think about, obviously, Chelsea needed a striker. Tottenham needed a striker. Now that Harry Kane's gone. Manchester United needed a striker. And now I've got an unknown sort of prodigy in Rasmus Hoyland. We don't actually know if he's going to be any good in the Premier League. And he's injured as well. I genuinely think him throwing his toys out of the pram in that quarterfinal of the FA Cup made clubs go, I ain't touching this petulant <laughs> little five-year-old. If you look at Spurs, when he got Richarlison, he throws his toys out of the pram every five minutes. You don't want Mitrovic competing with a spot with him. Manchester United, who are completely us a shit show in themselves, and Chelsea are in the same circus as well. Why would they want him? And I'm surprised that Chelsea didn't actually throw any money at him. And of course, with Mitrovic's little boy being a Chelsea fan, he would have easily gone there. And I, do you know what? Do you know what? It's probably a bad take from me. I would have rather of him gone to Chelsea than gone to Saudi because I wouldn't. <laughs> what it is for me is I like seeing my favorite. <laughs> I well, I like seeing my favorite players do well, and I want them to achieve the very best because a lot of the time Fulham is just a stepping stone it's sad it's tough to take but sometimes it's just the truth and this guy had all the capabilities of competing in Europe competing for all the best trophies in England and now he'd rather get £250,000 per Instagram post posed with some Lamborghinis with Neymar. He's playing with fucking Neymar, mate. <laughs> what in the space? No, seriously. What in the Space Jam is going on? <laughs> it's, it's not real, mate. It's not real. It's an amusement park. It's not real. And people just saying to me, pe people just saying to me, oh yeah, you're a little like Al Halal fans. And I'm like, mate, no one knew who you were. Two months ago. I'm sorry, I'm sweating now. I'm sweating. <laughs> so I, got some, I got some Al Halal Ultras outside my door just trying to kick it down. <laughs> Oh, you need to keep checking your blood pressure, man. But I mean, oh. yeah, I think I think you you speak you speak for a lot of the fan base with all these frustrations. Say one thing that really made me laugh. So, um, white noise, uh, obviously the the famous uh, Fulham connector on the online is uh, he 
tweeted saying actors in Fulham shirts in relation to the video that I mentioned previously. Uh, actors in Fulham shirts pretending to be Fulham fans. Actors to pretending to be delighted Al Halal fans. Mitro making some hostage style stab at his song at the end. If this is what the Saudis <laughs> are bringing to the sport, it's about to get very shit. And I think he's just hit the nail on the head there. And then he too has has opened himself up to just an absolute like barrage of uh, insults from um, from from Saudis Al Halal fans. And he White Noise has been translating them and then tweeting them out. And he said, "Got to say that these Arab insults are cheering me up." So this one um, says, "Shout, men! Your shout makes me happy. I swear to God, I breathe your shouting donkey." <laughs> it's like, oh, what, what does that even mean? <laughs> But anyway, um, yeah, man, it's 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 uh, it's just so sad. It really is. I mean, we've we've covered we've we've tried to approach it from both angles here. Obviously, Harry is very far in one camp. Drew and I are somewhat more in the middle. Cam, what, what's your overall take on this situation before we put it to um, bed forever? I was sitting in a Chinese restaurant in um in Worcester Park, completely oblivious to the news to about literally four hours after it broke. So absolutely blissful to it, sitting there eating some crispy chilli beef. I looked at my phone and spat some special fried rice literally all <laughs> over my, my missus's granddad. Um, <laughs> um, and he's like, and, he, and he's, like, he's, like, he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, well, no, look at my phone like that. And he in turn spat his chilli beef all over his wife. And it went, it went around in a circle and everyone was just absolutely flabbergasted by what's just happened, basically. But... <laughs> I I got to it late, so I was trawling through Twitter before I went to bed in the in the worst mood possible, and you see all of the shite floating around about the hammed up videos. Metro with a, a dead eye, just going, "You are donified or something like that. Like I'm on fire, you know. It's so cool. The guy's so corny. I'm I'm actually glad he's left the club because he's just so corny. Um, <laughs> and and as you say, once. Once the dust has settled and we see how the land lies, you you will suddenly realise that fifty million quid for a twenty nine year old with ankles made out of quavers is actually a bloody good deal, <laughs> like a, like a really really good deal. Because this is a geezer that only scored what four goals since February, like four league goals. I know he had his lengthy lengthy ban, which we all defended him for. Which we all can't. We, you're not allowed to say anything bad about Mitrovic. You're just not allowed to. It's against the rules. Um, <laughs> we all we all sat there and we said, you know what? Give him his juice. He loves the club. He's doing it because he's passionate. Quite obviously, that is complete and utter fictitious shite. And yes, a sentiment to it is: we look back on it and we go, do you know what? He got. He he stayed with us through two relegations. Obviously, three um, promotions as well to the Premier League, where he had. Potential offers years ago to maybe leave somewhere else and jump ship um, before obviously penning a five-year deal two years ago. Excellent. But yeah, money talks. Like, good on you. Let's move on. Let's get fucking Beto in or Balogun in. Spend that 50 million quid with some intent. Go out there and go, do you know what, Mitro? We're going to go out and we're going to get someone that's younger than you, stronger than you, faster than you, somebody that wants a bit more ambition in their career. You know, I don't care anymore. We wash your hands of it for the time being. It is still raw, mate. I'm the same as Harry. I'm sitting here seething. Like, I'm sitting here. I still haven't digested it from yesterday, mate. My Chinese still ain't digested <laughs> Like, how is this news supposed to be? How is this supposed to go through my digestive tract? 
Um, I, I, I still need to go to sleep on it, but I just know for the next week I'm going to have a grimace on my face. And every time, every time I, I, I log on to Twitter, I'm just going to want to delete it because I'm going to end up saying some stupid shit, more or less. Yeah. Oh, you raise a really good point there, though, Cam, and one that we should probably touch upon in that we've got, what is 50 million euros, I believe, isn't it? So what's that, like 40? 46 40, mil quid. Yeah, 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 yeah. For a player who's 28, 29... Uh, probably needing ankle surgery at some point because that injury just does not seem to have left him. Probably at his very sort of peak of what it is. I mean, I, I don't know. I would imagine it's sort of downhill from downhill from here for Mitro. You know, he's at this peak of his powers right now. You know, and this is a real opportunity to reinvest in in the squad. Drew, do you think we can sort of take that mindset and be like, okay, well, something really try and turn it into excitement, you know, for for what's to come? We have a real opportunity to do that. Um, obviously, there have been some names touted around. Um, I was saying before the pod started, uh, the result against Brentford, I don't think is going to make us make any more signings. I don't think the Khans work that way. Um, but I do think that they will be planning to replace Mitrovic. I think it's been obvious enough that's going to happen. They're going to have plans. They're going to have a shortlist. I think we might well see somebody come in in the next two weeks. They have a chance to like really bring the collective mood back up again uh, if they get somebody like Balogun from Arsenal who's got tons of potential, um, you know, could you know the ceiling is the ceiling is really high it could be a, a real new era type uh, type thing for us so they they do have the chance to do that whether they do that uh, i'd really like to think that they will but you know we don't know how the inner workings work we don't know we know the figurehead of recruitment we know who that is we don't know uh, you know the real inner workings of that but you know look i think uh, you're exactly right the the weird thing in this deal is um this sell-on clause, like it's the football equivalent of magic beans, isn't it? I mean, the man's the man's thirty years old nearly. He's going and being paid like two hundred grand a week. When he goes, ten percent or twenty percent of fuck all is fuck all. We're not going to get it. It's just a really weird clause that like journalists are pulling out. Like it's like oh, another feather in the cap of Fulham's negotiation skills. They got a sell-on clause there. <laughs> it's just really, I just find it's an odd footnote to the whole saga. Um, but you know, I, I know we're all, I know we're all sounding like, well, oh, we didn't really like her anyway. You know, like, you know, when you get dumped and you're just, you know, trying to save face, we all do sound like that. <laughs> that is exactly how it is. Yeah, it is, it is. That's a bad base. We're like, <laughs> there are, there have been, there have been points brought up. I, I knew that, you know, I knew Harry and Cal on this would just go to town. So I just sort of sit back and enjoy the ride. But, uh, to answer the question, I think we do have a real opportunity to bring the mood back up. Uh, we've got two weeks to do it. Deals have been done in less time. Let's let's get the war chest. Let's let's start this new era in the right way. Yeah, and I I I have to say I have faith in our recruitment team to pull something out of the bag. And it's amazing how the attitude of a fan base can just turn on its heel if if you get like an exciting couple of signings. So let's hope and pray that that is the case. But yeah, I think that's enough uh, for Mitro. For the sake of all of our tickers, I think we'd best uh, best move on to some of your questions. Thanks very much to everyone who got in touch. I'm going to throw this one um, to you, Cam. Uh, so Will Brooks has asked, um, an overseas owner, distracted director of football, arm's length CEO and a manager who won't commit. Is Fulham dangerously disjointed, lacking both the plan and a figurehead to carry it out? I mean, I'm sorry to start on such a bum note, but... I think it's worth discussing. What's your take? Well, yeah, I mean, before we before we started rolling, um, we we discussed that obviously Marco not signing a contract and the whole uh, 
unsteadiness around his future, it isn't really an alluring thing for an outsider to look at Fulham and go, all right, yeah, this is a long-term project I want to be a part of. They've definitely got ambition. They want to be hitting the heights of getting themselves into the Europa League and who knows where else from there. Um, And yeah, I I also think the fact that obviously we have a director of football who'd much rather... um, who'd much rather sign old blokes in, in Lycra for a wrestling corporation I've never really even heard of, to be quite honest with you. I didn't even know WWE was still going, but sadly wrestling apparently is. Um, he has fingers in many pies, but we need a director of football that has the whole fist in one pie, you know? <laughs> and that's where, that's where we're going wrong. <laughs> and draw whatever kind of mental image you want from that. It's completely oh, fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got I've got an image of a nice steak and ale. Um, <laughs> but we do need real commitment, and we're just not getting it at all. I mean, it proves with Marcus Silver, and <clears throat> bless him, he's, he's got a three-year contract and he's seeing it out. And that's great. At least he's actually doing what his contract dictates him to do, you know, or he's obliged to do. That's fantastic. But you seem to just get, odd statements from Tony Khan every once in a while. It's not like he's got his, you know, his, his finger on the buzzer and his ear to the ground on these things. And that does hinder us. I mean, I know that's just the way the club operates, but wouldn't it be nice to get our house in order really, really early? So once we actually hit the season from the beginning, we are literally weeks and weeks ahead of where we usually are. We've got a system, we've got players in place, um, we've got a plan, you know, we've got contingencies to go with it as well. But it just isn't the way it works. And yeah, I'd say as a whole, it might look rosy rosy sometimes from the offset when we, you know, get a one-nil win at Goodison Park our third in a row. Absolutely amazing, fantastic, great. But there are underlying issues which ultimately neither of us really know about. And they definitely need to be ironed out because otherwise we're going to be walking a tightrope this season. I hate that because the second season conundrum, it is always bound to happen to a club like Fulham. You know, that overachieved last season and look at look at last season, however you will, we did overachieve. And it's a great opportunity for us to build on last season, you know, have a bit of foundation in us. And actually, from the outset, players should be looking at us and going, Fulham are back. You know, Fulham are there in the Premier League. They spent, what, 13 years the first time up. Yes, they had a couple of ropey years in between, but this is a real Premier League team which deserves to be here. But we're not acting like it. So, yeah, something definitely needs to change, in my opinion. But will it? No, of course it won't. <laughs> it's so it's amazing because it, all it would take were with Marcus Edwards to commit long term. And I think like this whole discussion just kind of like goes away. It's amazing how fine the mark, like everything just feels on a knife edge at the moment. And one route is, you know, Premier League stability, and the other is well, it's not even worth thinking about to be honest. But it's uh, it's going to be fucking horrible. Um, we've got another question here from SG. I'm going to throw this one to Harry. Uh, how do we go from being Metro plus ten man backing band to a real football team? Uh, is it even possible? All things were built to support him in every way. Uh, I did watch the Team Machine Man City last night. 
everywhere it's the team first the vision first I, I would I, I would kind of contest that point that we're Mitro plus 10 man backing band because we saw in you know some fantastic performances last year without Mitro I'm thinking the Chelsea game for example um, so I would contest that point slightly but I do agree with we've obviously built a team and a system around having that kind of focal um, target man I mean Harry where do you think we go from here do you think we'll see Marco Silva adapt our philosophy and our playing style um, to suit whoever we bring in or are we just going to try and get a plug and play Mitro Mark II? Let's not try and replicate him. Let's completely change the style of play in my opinion. I I, I, I am obsessed with this Balogun story. As soon as it broke a couple of weeks ago and Cam Ram might be able to fill in with something that I'm about to say now because I don't want to mention. Is it Ellie Wahi Cam? Uh, who we had a little discussion about in Montpellier, in case you guys haven't seen, <laughs> who, who is a very similar player to Balogun and would be an incredible um, option if we were to buy him. <laughs> no. But I'm not going to say any more apart from it, if, no, yeah, if no one no. else has seen it, go to Wikipedia and look at his controversies page. I personally don't want to play like that at my club. But he would be incredible. But yeah, just go read that, people. Balogun at the same time, that is the guy that we need to be spending the money on. Tarami at Porto as well. Unbelievable player. We need to change it up. I think it's quite out of date. I'm actually quite bored of us just lumping it into the box and hoping that Vinicius or Mitro could get their head on it. Someone that's dropping deep and wants to be part of the creative process of attacking, like Balogun did at Reims. Tarami does at Porto. That's what, exactly what we need. If we want to be a mainstay in the Premier League, we want to push on to Europe. We need to sort of adopt same methods as kind of like what a Brighton, what a Brighton plays, what an Aston Villa plays. It's no point just lumping it into the box for some fat head to just try and get his head on the end of it. He, it sometimes he scores. Sometimes it's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> but it's time to adapt it with Balogun, Tarami, and not Wahi because that guy is just too sus, and I'm not having anything to do with that guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> change I mean, it up one. new philosophy new philosophy got it, yeah I mean the Balogun one it, I was chatting to Sammy about this and um, he raised the point that it. I think A we'd probably end up paying over the odds for him just given our situation and the fact that Arsenal know that we're obviously desperate and also um, it just feels like I don't know is this one that just journos have just kind of thought Oh, they need a striker. He's out of favour, valued at around the, you know, and just think oh, he's American. It kind of like fits. Or do you think there's actually like any sort of sustenance in this one? It seems to be around, but I, I don't know. Something about it just feels a bit weird. I don't think there's any, there's always there's no smoke without fire, is there? So you know, most of these moves come, most of these stories come around because uh, there's something to it. But I don't think Arsenal are going to hold us to ransom if if it is true, because I don't think Arsenal are particularly concerned about us. They've got their own valuation. If we meet it, I'm pretty sure they'll just, they'll, they'll do the deal. We're not, we're not a threat to them, are we? So you think they probably I mean, would? I think there's legs to it because obviously you've got Eddie and Ketia at Arsenal, who's their number 14, massive, massive mantle to carry, obviously being the next Thierry Henry. There's no way that Balogun's ahead of the pecking order, you know, at Arsenal and in Ketia. Um, I know Jesus is obviously injured, but once he's back, you've got, you know, good option in, in Ketia and Jesus to obviously uh, spearhead Arsenal's attack. And Balogun wants to play first-team football regularly, like week in, week out. And 
what better opportunity for him to do it at a club like Fulham, which is completely open to a new number nine. This is your opportunity at the age of, what, 21, 22, to really bed yourself into the Premier League and to prove yourself on arguably the most competitive stage possible. Um, And for a young lad going to France, completely new environment for him, bagging, what, 24, 25 goals like he did in Reims, that's a tough thing to do. You know, especially if you're not used to the style of play out in France. I know they call it a farmer's division, but I think it's anything but. I, I still think there's challenges you need to overcome, not only logistically, but you need to be ready to adapt and you need to be ready to buy into a system. And he seems like a player which is hungry to do that. So I personally think of all the players which we've been linked with, and obviously we have great people in the community, in the community with their ears to the ground and their eyes peeled. But of all the links we've seen, um, Obviously, you've got Taremi at Porto, who is a bagsman, but is getting on a little bit as well. Um, Beto from Udinese, who is more or less a carbon copy of uh, Alexander Mitrovic, um, maybe a bit more mobile, but they're the same type of player that just likes to get on the end of a, a loose ball in the 18-yard and prod it home. Um, Balogun is that guy. And if we are going to switch up our um, our system and strategy, if we're going to look for a little bit more intensity and pace going forward and somebody that is quite cute and can drift out wide and then dart inside and bomb at defenders, then Balogun is that guy. And if he's up for sale, we've got the money now, go out, buy him. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see that transfer get over the line, but I guess only time will tell. I've uh, got another question here. Drew, I'm going to throw this one to uh, all of you, but um, I'm going to start with you, Drew. Uh, nice, happy question for you. As individual days being a Fulham fan go, surely Saturday is up there with one of the worst ever. So the question that I pose is, can you think of a worse day like in terms of, I mean, you've got the obvious ones, you know, when, when we've been relegated and stuff, but each time we've gone down, it feels like a series of time. We haven't really gone down in a gut-wrenching way. We've kind of just been a sort of slowly sinking ship so that's kind of like collective season not really pinned down to one individual day but Drew are there any that stick out in your mind as being just absolute stinkers that could challenge what we experienced yesterday yeah well it's funny I was on the way to the game yesterday and uh I had a heavy night on the Friday had my had my coffee my Americano in my hand had a few sips and felt a rumbling in my stomach and next thing you know I'm sitting on the train thinking I'm gonna, I'm gonna saw myself at 36 years of age, and uh, I managed to get to Hammersmith toilet, Hammersmith station, get in the toilet, do my business. So I was like, fuck, thinking D-Ream was in my head. I'm thinking things can only get better, and then come five o'clock, I'm just thinking, I, I wish I'd just shit myself on the train and had to go home. <laughs> like I genuinely just wish I hadn't come. Um, and uh, <laughs> sorry, to me now, I apologise. I felt in a similar way. I felt like that. Uh, Oldham in the FA Cup a couple of years ago where they where they uh, done us at the cottage. Uh, trains, train strikes or trains were broken or something. And I ended up on a bus going down Kings Road and I just, we'd lost and I'd missing my dinner because Em had cooked me dinner and I, was go- I wasn't going to get home in time for it. And, I'm, and I wasn't even going to go and I only went because my brother wanted me to go. And I went and I just, you just, those feelings afterwards where you just think, I wish I'd literally just stayed at home. I could have been like, it was raining, it was cold, it was January. I could have been having me shepherd's pie, getting ready for a lovely Sunday. Uh, yeah, so Oldham always sticks in my mind as a game I wish I hadn't gone to. And yesterday I 
I would go one further and, and wish as a 36 year old man, I'd, I'd crap my pants. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see your moment uh, so, it's amazing what football can do to you right like what a what a what a what a turn of events that is exceptional uh i mean the one that one that sticks in my mind and it was weird because it was a, a day a saturday that fulham didn't even play in but it was when uh brentford got promoted by the playoff and chelsea won the champions league final do you remember no, that, yeah, was, that was an absolute stinker but Cam, have you got any uh, that springs to mind? Yeah, fairly recent. Um, going up to Coventry um, to their weird, weird stadium, which seems to be in the middle of a massive, massive roundabout with fuck all around it. And he had to catch a bus from Coventry City Centre, which took about half an hour um, in the pissing rain. And to see us obviously lose 4 0 like the way we did. Um, and it was a turnaround in our season. There's promotion season under under silver, of course, but that really stuck in my mind for a very, very long time. That I'd actually spent hard earned money to go to Coventry to start, but to get soaked through and watch us lose as we did what four one or something like that. It was four one. I remember that we thought Mitro scored ahead, but it was actually an own goal. So yeah, that's one off the one off the tally for you, Mitro. Right. <laughs> um, but. That sticks in my mind um, a lot. And I never want to go back to Coventry ever again anyway. Um, but I would end up getting PTSD if I ever see the Rico. Um, so there's that That for me is the shittest game I've ever been to. Oh, did, like, really? <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, that was obviously just, that was a shocker, yeah. Were any of you at the um, Burnley away when we lost to Sherlock got that worldie and then we lost 2-1 uh, despite the fact Burnley didn't have a single shot on target <laughs> that was uh, that was a pretty pretty rubbish day yeah Harry before we uh, close any any that you'd like to honourable mentions that you'd like to throw in it's quite it's cathartic this isn't it it's therapy we, we, we've all, we've, all, we've all been in it together it's like you know through thick and thin supporting Fulham it's uh, it's quite nice to remember the shit ones isn't it Mine was like, my, do you know what? Mine's actually last season. It's not Crawley, but it's, was it, did we lose 4-1 to Newcastle last year when Chalabar got sent off like 11, yeah, yeah. 7 or 11 minutes in? It was a beautiful day down by the river. I'd met up with my old housemate and he was like, he's, he's from the States and he's like, he's like, dude, Phil are going to be cooking this year, huh? And I was just like, <laughs> mate, just you watch. We've got this guy in the middle called Polina. Mitrovic is going to score like 15 plus goals. And then it just went to shit from there. It's like just recent memories of Chalabar getting sent off on a beautiful summer's day and just sat there or standing there with him. It's it's like I'd never met the guy and I I just got like socially awkward and didn't know how to speak to him. Didn't speak to him for about 70 minutes. (laughs) It was, mate, it was deep. It was so deep. And Newcastle just ran us around, just ran us around our own backyard and it was really depressing. But Crawley last season as well, tough. What was that weird Sheffield United one when we lost like 4 0 in like argued like two years ago? That was weird. It wasn't depressing, it was just weird. Um and I just <laughs> remember just, game of season, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I just remembered as well. Yeah. Do you remember 2013 when we had Amora Bieta at the back and we lost 6 0 to Hull away? That shit shouldn't be happening. That's 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 not real. That's not real, but it is. <laughs> Same time. The simulation's broke, man. Yeah. Like, it really that is. glitch in oh, the matrix. <laughs> <laughs> right gents I think that's all we've got time for for today's episode given the circumstances uh, I've had a lot of fun thank you very much Drew, Drew Healy thank you George yeah I've, uh, I've laughed a lot there's a few tears you won't see on my uh, non-HD camera but we've uh, 
<laughs> yeah, we've really we've really gone through something today, and uh, I'm glad I was on with uh, with you lads. Thank you, Harry. Pleasure. Um, you'll be re- receiving an invoice from my therapist, so good luck. Good luck playing it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you missed the Cam Ramsey. Yeah. Bye. Thursday, Sammy will be back with the Thursday club. Have a good week, ladies and gents, and we'll see you soon. You guys.